0: Hey, welcome to uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air, his current yield. And uh, I am Jim Grant. And with me, as always, is the great deputy editor of Grant's, uh, Evan Lorenz. Hello, Evan. Hi, Jim. And um, uh, Henry French, our um, fabulous uh, sound engineer, is not on the premises, but he is uh, with us uh, at a distance today. Uh, we have a couple of uh, very knowledgeable and scintillating guests, and they are Michael and Samuel Ashner, and they're both in the uh, in the commercial real estate business, which will be the theme of the show. In the meantime, Evan, do you realize that we are within minutes of the announcement of the Federal Reserve's decision that will change the course of uh, the planets? And uh, does the sun revolve around? No, it'll change the course of planetary orbits, possibly, certainly the course of interest rates.
1: Yeah, Either uh, Chairman Powell's going to destroy the financial system, save it, or do something in between.
0: You know, uh, I remember reading something, um, I think was from the 1930s or 40s, and the economist, uh, the very sound economist holding forth, said, we mustn't get ourselves in a position where the entire financial world rises or falls or hangs on the latest word of the central bank. That has come to pass. Nothing else counts.
1: Uh, Pretty much no. Uh, We we saw a Bloomberg article a couple of days ago, and the headline was something like, Trillion dollar asset managers fear missing out. Uh, And it was asset managers like uh, Vanguard afraid that if the Fed gets into a pivot today and actually does not raise rates or perhaps even cuts them, then we might actually be off into a vertiginous rally in the stock market. And the worst thing you could do if we're in that is not to buy in the first day. Yeah, you
0: got to be in the first day. Um, meantime, uh, I don't know about you, Evan, but I am I am sick and tired of this sunshine. And uh, uh, to change the mood we have with us, two of the premier practitioners within the five boroughs uh, boroughs of New York City of the fine art of uh, commercial real estate uh, salvage-style investment. These are people who, for a living, look for things that uh, had been loved, uh, laterally came to be um, reviled. However, in their being reviled, they may hold value. So uh, welcome, Michael Ashner and Sam Ashner. Well, thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, good to be here. Um, I want to begin with the uh, senior member of our guest team, Michael, um, and ask you, uh, how do you see things in the uh, real estate world, particularly in the city of New York, commercial real estate, and still more specifically, I guess, the value opportunities from things that used to be
2: beloved? I think you had to step back first. The term real estate, commercial real estate, is a generic term for various asset classes which have one thing in common: roofs. <laughs> except 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 for raw land, which doesn't even have a roof. All right. <laughs> so each asset class, particularly now, they, in the last 20 years, has started to diverge. Much like commodities. You, if I say to you how are commodities going to do, you're going to. What are you referring to, Michael? Barley or or silver? So we have to look at it in that light. There are a lot of headwinds in New York, a number of distinct headwinds. One which is uh, I don't want to be political as the regulatory environment. It is decidedly not in favor of commercial real estate. This is this is the communism you're talking about? This is a <laughs> liberal progressivism. I, oh, sorry. which I, I was yeah, I was for short e, term. E S and E S G focused, which does not take into account the costs and burdens that it imposes on real estate, which are uh, attemptedly passed through to uh, to uh, tenants. Right. I want
0: to I want to pick up on this uh, non-political thread. And I want uh, <clears throat> to observe some information we got from uh, Maverick Real Estate Partners, very thoughtful people, I gather. I, it's obvious they are from their materials. And says Maverick Real Estate Partners, in the past four years, real estate taxes on New York City rent stabilized buildings of 13%. Regulated rent growth up six point four percent. So call it twice the tax growth as the um, allowable regulated rent growth. Now that is not a good way to make money.
2: Well, uh, that's it's a little bit of a de- deceiving uh, statistic because operating expenses account for fifty percent of your revenue. Should have should so that would mean that your your taxes have grown. Your operating expense grew by a net of 3% against 6 But nevertheless, operating expenses are clearly moving uh, moving upward much faster than rent, rent growth in New York. That's undoubted. It's just statistically that's what the statement is. New York has seen that if you want to stay with multifamily, there's critical problems. It, few years ago, the, what was it? The What was called the rent stabilization, whatever it was? 2019. Housing Stabilization and Tenant
0: Protection Act.
2: So this has been a nightmare for New York. And no one wants to really confront it. What it's done is it said that for the 1 million stabilized apartments, if you want to put, it used to be if you put in $25,000 to upgrade an apartment, which someone had lived in for 30 years, you could get it back. I think it's like a 20% return on that, which is, by the way, not a high return because you have to upgrade the apartment in eight years, nine years, in any event. So it's a sort of a market return on your investment. Now, the return is 2%. Now, why would I put $25,000 into an apartment to get a 2% return? The result, because the market wins all the time, is we now have 40,000 market affordable housing units kept offline. Landlords weren't going to fix the units. They just as soon hold them offline. So your problem with homelessness has been compounded by a, a progressive view that you should be, that landlords make too much money or whatever it is, and we're not going to allow the market.
0: This is where I came in. I, I started at Barons in 1975. And I think my first assignment was um, uh, to talk to the people at the Community Housing Improvement. Mm-hmm. So CHIPS. Yeah. Right. And uh, they were people who were fighting a noble rear guard and utterly futile, as it turned out, action against the institution of rent control. Um, Short of uh, high explosives, the most certain agent of destruction of bricks and mortar in the history of urban organizations and uh, uh, you know this rent stabilization is, is a euphemism for another for a softer I guess kind of, of rent control but still it is uh, positively guaranteed to wreck the housing stock in time and to uh, hasten the outflow of uh, enterprising real estate people and others in, who want to make some money in business and it seems to me um, not a healthy thing for the city or it's credit.
2: I think that's true because it's going to bring, it will bring down the tax base for sure, and it has. So, I, if, one thing I love about economics or finance it is the it's at a hard stop like physics. I can talk to you about social programs. I talked to you about this, and we can have soft stops, but economics doesn't allow for it. Forty thousand units, which could be rented, are vacant right now. That's a hard stop. We'll have to progress increase absolutely. So. Multifamily is, is a troubled investment in in New York City. Sam, you
0: um you have heard two uh, gentlemen of a certain age going on and on about people getting off their lawn. Now, as someone who has brings a different set of life experiences to the real estate business and to the uh and to the real estate uh, uh you know, I keep even calling it salvage. What's what's the more appropriate term? distress. Distress, yes. Um what do you think of the prospects for distress in New York City? Are you happy with the uh with the opportunity set that is un- un- unveiling now.
3: Well, actually, to your point about rent stabilization and what's occurred since 2019, Signature Bank, which obviously just failed and was acquired by New York Community Bank, New York Community Bank didn't take their CRE loan book at all, and a about 11.9 billion dollars of loans, which are now stuck with the FDIC, a large majority of which are loans on multifamily housing in New York City. The average um, origination date of those loans was in 2019. And the valuations attached to that were at a four and a half cap rate. Now, in the market, that's a seven and a half, eight percent cap rate and widening still because you're not, to Michael's points, you can't raise rents. You can't uh, squeeze any more juice out of the lemon. So, in a way, I think it represents a generational opportunity to engage in distress investments. Evan uh,
0: wrote a piece in the uh, brand new issue of Grants about the uh, intersection between bank credit and uh, and buildings. You can't have one without the other, right?
1: Yeah, especially the small and medium-sized banks that are getting, um, you know, deposit runs right now. Well, the big 13 banks that, you know, uh, make up like 55% of all banking assets are the majority of the you know the banking system. the smaller four thousand or so banks that make up their other forty five percent of the assets do the vast majority of the commercial real estate lending. Now, the one benefit banks had coming out of uh, the QE in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one is The Fed had so stuffed them to the gills with so much money that they had more deposits that they needed, and they essentially were paying nothing on those deposits. Now we've taken the banks that had the most precarious balance sheets, engineered a run on them, and now we're getting kind of a run on a lot of other small and regional banks, which means that their deposit costs are likely going to go up. Um, according to the Federal Reserve's latest senior loan officer survey, banks were already tightening commercial underwriting uh, at levels last seen in kind of, you know, the 2021, uh, 2020 lockdowns and the 2008-2009 uh, recession. So banks were already tightening. Now they're getting Uh, scarcer uh, funding and more expensive funding. And it seems like that could potentially be the next hammer to fall in kind of the commercial real estate market.
3: Absolutely. I would say that the regional banks do engage in a large amount of CRE lending on new construction. You have Bank of the Ozarks, which engages in massive construction loans in South Florida. You have Axos Banks, which engages in office and multifamily lending. Silicon Valley Bank had a CRE lending book, a large part of which was wineries in the Napa Valley. Um, I was listening to a different podcast what? earlier this week, political there's podcast, not, a, not an economic podcast. All right. And they I said that for one we anymore. must save all the regional banks because everybody needs to talk to their regional banker and have a relationship with a local banker. And I think that's all well and good. But many of the more risky CRE loans have migrated from big banks to regional banks because- Big banks have much more oversight, much more stringent underwriting on their books for those types of loans. So it, it's it, it is it's
1: troubling. So to date, the problems that we've had in banks uh, first starting with Silicon Valley Bank, then kind of you know metastasizing over to uh, Signature, and now um, First Republic. Has been safe assets. They they bought too many treasuries and mortgage-backed securities in 2020 and 2021 at yields so low that when yields rose, they essentially were you know bankrupt on a mark-to-market basis. Is there a credit problem on the commercial real estate books that is going to start happening now? Because so far, the problems again have been safe assets as opposed to you know risky credit assets.
3: There are oh, a number mm-hmm. of problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,
2: I'll just say make a generalized comment about the banks. It sure. Strikes me short uh, short investors they they follow one another. They all looked at these banks. They looked at the banks, the regional banks, and they saw that they were there long where they shouldn't be long and short where they shouldn't be short, and that was on uh, on treasuries and whatever it was. But now they're going to continue to look at banks, and what they're going to start to look at, because they see a vulnerability, is banks, real estate loans, for sure. They're going to come and say, why? And they're going to see evidence of that. For example, the what's it? The Union Oil Bank. What's the gas company? Correct. The gas company building in uh, Los Angeles has a three hundred million dollar loan on it. Yes. Yes, held by an institution which is now being sold for about one hundred thirty-five million dollars. Now that institution can weather a one hundred sixty-five million dollar book loss, but I'm not sure. It's indicative of something a broader that a broader problem that other. Banks will have and short traders will look at those, uh, look in those, look into those portfolios. I think the the problem uh, the problem with bank lending right now is it's, it's a tough, it's a very tough environment for commercial real estate. There's everything has gone wrong. It's more headwinds than, I, than I've ever
1: seen. It's capital
3: intensive.
1: Is there too much debt at real estate? And, and the reason I ask is um, last week Blackstone announced that it was not going to pay mortgages on a group of ten offices in Las Vegas, and this follows other lenders like uh, Pimco. Um, Brookfield, lender, uh, uh, real estate owners who have great balance sheets, and you wouldn't think have trouble paying loans, but they've, instead of trying to sell these buildings at distressed prices, have just returned the keys to lenders. The
3: underlying theme with all of those uh, uh, loans, which you highlighted, are that they are all encumbered by floating rate debt, and they're unhedged.
2: Think of real estate as a very slow-moving hedge fund. A hedge fund can get wiped out overnight because of its leverage, right? I mean, yeah. it gets called for its capital; it's done and gone. Real estate's not quite like that. It borrows money over a long period of time. It is hopeful that the value of the building when the loan matures is enough to roll over that debt. That uh, circumstances should be relatively same or better, but they're not right now. They're critically. Much worse, and there are much worse. There's a number of things you can point to. We start off with the interest rates. I was making notes about the comparison to the Great Financial Crisis of 2008. Well, interest rates didn't really move much. They were still 2 3%. Now, are at, uh, loans are at SOFR plus 200, 6%. So that right away means that lenders lend less because of the both loan-to-value and debt service constant ratios. They can't lend as much against that building unless that building has very low leverage. Separate problem when you want to roll over a loan, particularly a floating rate loan, is that your lender wants what? a swap okay what's a two-year swap one-year swap whatever it used to cost a year ago maybe sixty thousand dollars to swap out a a cap yes yes a two percent swap a year ago was maybe on 25 million is maybe sixty thousand dollars it's not anymore it's about eight hundred ninety thousand dollars so if you have a hundred million dollar loan not only is the lender going to ask you say i can't lend you as much not only am I going to want you to pay the cost of the restructure, but hey, I now need $4 million because I want to sh- ensure that you can even pay the rate. These are problems that we never had before. Nor did we have working from home in 2008. So that's the, of all of them, I can't figure out yet working from home. I am, uh, as you know, a skeptic. But I, I think that the working from home, some businesses, people are going to come back. Law firms, your office is full today. People that that are collegial, that have to meet, people come back. But other businesses don't need to come back. Tech firms, for example, they work from home. So I don't know yet the full impact of that. And when you say work from home, if the employer says, I want you in three days a week, well, you still need a space. So I'm not as, there are worse things that are facing office product than working from home. For example, when I started out 40 years ago, there was about 240 square feet of space per worker in an office building. Even before the pandemic, it was down to like 130 square feet. Now
3: it's 90.
2: Now, that's right. So, so
0: everything is like the IRT subway at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yes, exactly.
2: Right. Yeah. Except now, so you, you, you start with that. In addition, there's been... I don't know. Uh, for example, in New York, probably 30 million square feet of new space built uh, since uh, 2018. So that's come online. That competes with the existing uh, existing space requ- uh, availability. These issues are a headwind that we did not have in 2008. Something else is uh, the volume of commercial real estate,
0: uh, mortgage-backed securities that are falling due this year. Uh, very high volume, two and a half. Uh, quadrillion? or I,
1: I think there's $95 billion of non-bank um, mortgages backing offices coming due this year, but that's just yeah. offices.
3: And they're all running into refi risk right yeah. now. Right.
1: But uh, for bank refis, I think it's a couple hundred billion. I just don't ha- know the number off the top of my head, but there's a lot of debt just coming due this year.
3: The, most of the bank refis are going to be floating rate mortgages too, which is even more problematic. Right. So
1: this brings us
0: back to opportunities for people in distress. So uh, say I own a I don't know multi-family, uh, uh, which is a way of saying apartment building. I own an apartment building in New York City. It's rent stabilized, meaning the rents are capped. The operating costs are going up. Um, I'm facing a uh, the necessity of putting in new equity because I can't borrow as much and rates are going up and the cap is going to be costly. Okay, so uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. So I'm contemplating sending the keys back to the uh, the creditors. Now, where do you come in in this process? Do you come in and say, we will lend you, um, I don't know, we'll help you bridge this, Mr. Property Owner, but uh, it's going to cost you 15% or do you come in and say uh, to the lender, we can take this off your hands and, uh, and, and make it work but you're gonna have to work with us on price. How do you proceed to realize the opportunities in distress
2: in this burgeoning situation? The key to distress is recognizing that everything for the moment has repriced. It's not the same price. Who can afford to pay to recognize that price change? Let's take multifamily in New York City. Well, I think that's going back to the banks before it's going to come to us because it needs to be dramatically repriced. I have both regulatory risk and I have... Operational uh, risk. Operational risk. If you take by the way, it's not, New York isn't a loan. If I take the Southeast, I built an apartment complex. The banks looked at it very favorably. They lent him a $200,000 per unit. It was a three-year construction loan. Multifamily rent growth has not been quite what people expected. He's now got to refinance it. And instead of getting $200,000, he's getting $160,000. That fellow may come to us or preferred equity for some sort of uh restructuring. He's in a better position. But some there is very often, whether it's office or multifamily, that it's it may well be that you're dealing simply with a lender who's got to sell the loan. That that look what Brookfield did in, in LA. Here's the keys, you're gonna have it back. Look at what's Columbia Property Trust saying. Here's the keys. You can have them back. Isn't there a reputational risk in this,
0: or is real estate simply uh, like amoral? What-
3: I, I think for them it's the logical decision, sure, rather but, than throwing good money after bad. Right. And in the case of Pimco, for example, it starts out a workout process as well. So Pimco may end up in a better position now than they were, or they may give it back. It, it remains. Aren't, the there, aren't some
0: of these uh, newspaper headlines about uh, jingle mail like? Is this a form of negotiation?
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah, but it, it, it's not. The business isn't isn't played correctly. Amoral. It is the nature of the morality. If I fight with my lender and prolong it and draw out, uh, have me give me money to walk away, that's reputational. That will be a problem. I have to disclose it if I want to go forward. But if I just give you back my keys on a non-recourse basis, people do that all the time. Simon has done it with countless malls. Bernardo's contemplating it on a building. That that is permissible behavior. What's what's impermissible? Impermissible is contesting the foreclosure. Got it. That's, that's impermissible. I'm glad there's something that's impermissible. (laughs) And bank, and bankruptcies also. Bad, very bad.
1: So I know real estate is not one market, but um, according to Green Street, institutional grade quality commercial real estate fell 15% year over year. And that ranged from no change for hotels to down 25% for office. You said that real estate is a slow moving financial crisis happening right now. How far are we into the price correction mode and how much more downside do you see in places like office or multifamily? Well, it's
2: two questions. Right now, we're well into the slow moving, becoming accelerated because two years ago, a year and a half ago. But still first
3: inning. I would say
2: more than that. I think now we're in like the fifth inning because you're seeing defaults, default rates accelerate. You're seeing things in the news. Look, when Scott Reckler comes out on uh, CNBC, it's a TV show. That I'm sure you don't watch it. Uh, it's CNBC and says that he may give keys back and he may do this and he may do that. That's not the kind of climate we had 18 months ago, even in the midst of the pandemic. So it it is now the turmoil is clearly accelerating. Now, what was the second question? I'm
1: old. <laughs> How far to the process of uh, price correction are we?
2: Uh, just starting because what I've seen over the years, my, my career is three sort of phases in distress. First is it's sort like mortality. Denial. <laughs> it's no problem. It'll solve itself. The lender says that. The borrower says that. I, you know, it's a no deeper conversation. I still have nine months on the loan. So we're out of denial. The middle is, what? Well, how do we work this out? And how can we straighten it out? And can it be straightened out? We're clearly there. But the last part of it is parties recognizing where they are in the capital stack. Take these keys. <laughs> and the lender said, and the, and the interesting thing is this, much of commercial real estate, which was financed since 2015, was done with both a secured financing and mezzanine debt. So when you see that the default rate is 3 or 4% for CMBS style loans or first mortgage loans, that's misleading because it's not telling you what the default rate is on the junior debt. The junior debt mm. may be tenfold, uh, tenfold of
0: that.
1: That's interesting.
2: So what, what are the, the, the current default
0: rates on the junior kind of debt?
3: You can have 15% default rate. We don't,
0: it, we, no one really knows. You know it only because you follow the doesn't, doesn't TREP or somebody keep track of? It, no, no, not that.
3: Because TREP only uh, tracks the information on the first mortgages and it'll let you know how much mezzanine debt there is and what the current rate is, but not the default so, Again,
0: to return to opportunities, are, are you, can you give us an example, of, for example, of a, of a mezzanine loan that might come to you at 20 cents on the dollar that you find interesting and worth the risk? Is, have we come to anything that's causing you to want to do transactions?
2: Right now, there there's a number of mezzanine loan portfolios that lenders have put into the marketplace. The mezzanine loan buys. The pricing is always attractive. It's the risk that is not because mezzanine loans come with the senior lender, and you don't know how the senior lender is going to treat you if you uh, accelerate the loan and take off. The senior lender may say, I'm money good. I, you know, you bought it for 20 cents on the dollar. That's good for you, but I want to be paid off today. Now that's a problem because if the credit market sees up on you, you you're not going to be able to do it and you're going to lose your 20 cents on the dollar. One lesson I've learned is that very inexpensive things can become very expensive very quickly. And much thought has to be given into all of the the issues surrounding your effectuation, your remedies, how you're going to negotiate, how much money you're going to put in, frictional costs. You know, it's not an easy business. So time is a great uh, consideration.
0: Absolutely.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely. absolutely. So so does the time required to consummate a good idea lengthen during the final Phases of the cycle, or does it foreshorten because people are finally ready to, to uh, call it quits and uh, to realize that things have come to such a pass?
2: It moves faster in the third phase. It does. Lenders, people, lenders particularly, have come to uh, Jesus and they yeah. realize what the what the truth of their situation are is. Are bank
0: examiners now helping you in that they are pushing people to recognize the facts, or are bank examiners just as alert the as issues, they were in the case the of Silicon with the Valley bank.
3: bank. The issues with the regional banks will certainly help to accelerate the, these issues. Um, I mean, when one bank starts to take CRE losses, they all start to re-examine their books.
2: There's an enormous herd instinct in, in regulatory behavior. You know, the bank regulators will now start looking at loan portfolios much more closely. Now, there's a defense that banks have, but I don't know how strong the defense is. You know, It's the same thing as... Treasuries you have hold to hold for investment and hold to whatever for sale. If they start pushing those loans into your impaired impaired capital, that moves them into obviously held for sale, and that's that's the pressure that bank regulators bring on the banks after the process, the
1: overall global process has commenced. So we're in the middle innings of kind of the the mess that you see a, a, a happening right now. Um, how much money has been raised to actually go after the distressed opportunity in real estate? And what is kind of the reception from LPs when you actually talk about the opportunities that you think are coming out, down the corner?
2: So in I would say in 2021, billions were raised for distressed opportunities. The great thing about human nature, and I consider myself a bit of a student. You're, you're, you're human. Yeah, is that everyone wants, yeah, but I'm not, I look no, at not the, I'm not that kind of human, idea. no. So your,
1: your everyone up as one very well.
2: Everyone wants to talk about, I want to get in on the distress, I want right. to get in. Let me add so, them, so let you, me them. You show them, you bring them a deal or a series of deals and, ooh, I don't know, <laughs> I, the market's rocky right now, yeah. I got to turn, turn my money into you know, cash and gold i don't know that i want to do it i'll wait a little bit at catching a falling knife that's human nature there was you know I, I always wonder what happened to all of that cash that was in private equity in 2007 where did it all go it didn't go it didn't come to bail out real estate there were very few distressed purchasers in 2000 Winthrop the public company i ran was the most active buyer of Any uh, investment real estate in and paper in 2008 through 2013. And and we were a tiny company. Everyone else was battening down the hatches. They didn't want to invest. This is, um,
3: brokers loved us.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is a hockey tickets. It is. My analogy is that when markets start to move upward everyone slowly walks into the room and grabs a chair when somebody else fire they head for the doors and they don't come back in quickly so I, I'm not seeing the deployment that I used to see let me ask you about uh possible problems and and one of them
0: is the uh, uh the structures that are best known by the uh, the brand name of the biggest such entity BREAT, it's the real estate investment trust that uh, uh, that uh, Blackstone has uh, has uh, brought to market and has made a great success of. So, uh, people want to get out. More people want to get out than are allowed to get out month by month. This is well disclosed to the investors, but still they are queuing up. And there is more than one such BREIT in the world and is this going to be um i don't know is, the, is this is going to uh to be the the source of additional problems or is this well so recognized in the market been discounted
2: let, let me ask a question let me respond to a question with a series of questions i can buy tornado stock i believe a great office company i really do i can buy it today tomorrow in out whatever it is i pay three cents a dollar um, to my probably too much to my broker to buy a share of stock i buy b reed and there's a 4%, 5%, 3% commission. So I've already lost. And that's, if I add an acquisition cost, whatever, my dollar is turned into 95 cents. So I'm behind the eight ball. So if I don't think that the B-READ people have more IQ points than other, substantially that much more they do, because they all, I mean, it's hard to get a job at Blackstone. But if they aren't that much smarter, then their buying is not going to offset by that much the haircut that you take going in. So, but we're in the deal now, the R and B rate. Now, everywhere, all of the pundits, the financial analysts have said that equity in re- and real estate has gone down to your point 10, 15%, whatever. Nevertheless, they've marked their real estate to actually close to a 25% premium to the purchase price per share. I don't know. That doesn't that strikes me as odd. Why would one be doing 20, 20 uh, 40% better on its equity returns than everybody else in the in the public markets? I tend to think the public markets are pretty they may overcorrect, but they're pretty savvy as a general rule. So when you add illiquidity with, I can't understand the underlying financial in underpin, underpinnings, which justify a an increase in value of, what is 30% over three years, whatever it is. You get uncertainty, and people who are also who are locked in now want to leave. That's
1: that's what happened. So related to B um, it wasn't just B Reed buying kind of you know trophy properties and you know gateway cities that had actually been a winning trade for sovereign wealth funds, for insurance funds, for pension funds, um, buying like you know office buildings in Manhattan at like a three percent cap rate was viewed during the era of zero percent rates as not only a bond proxy but a bond proxy that gives you like inflation hedging because supposedly rents go up over time. Of course, that's turned out not to be true, but you do have all this institutional money that bought so many trophy properties in Gateway Cities, are they going to dump it at some point? And what does that happen? What does that mean?
3: Well in the case of B Reed, they'll have to dump it because you'll get enough redemptions and yeah. you won't, won't have any other choice. And there won't be enough pension funds that will bail out B Reed investors like they just recently did, obviously.
2: Sovereign wealth funds are I mean, they're they're multi-generational. They don't have to dump anything. That, in fairness, you know, that that is your anti-dumping well, also,
0: also, in fairness, the BB people will tell you that illiquidity is our gift to you, impulsive and yeah. suggestible uh, retail investor. We have generated what is over the course of time we generated eight and a half percent per annum. Some, you know, some more than respectable returns, and um, we are helping you not to uh, pull the trigger. Just stay where you are,
2: and we will continue to do what we've done. Well, I understand that kind of mantra from the federal government telling me how they're helping me. I've never quite, apart from my parents, I've never heard that from anyone else. They're they're helping me and guiding me in in my investment decisions. Look, I I I do think the people at Blackstone are very smart. But if you look closely at it, things have even their investment philosophy has changed. So now the big B rate is buying debt, it's taking debt positions. It's 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 not what they I think wanted it to be. They bought they bought companies, small rates. They do have this. They have a lot of capital right and they have they have the ability to source a lot of capital and my in my experience in real estate it's location's important but timing dura- duration 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 If you can hold you get you gener- and it's a decent product you generally can get out at some point because of inflation because of events that were that when the turns to your back so those people can hold but the here's who can't hold let's take a syndicator Uh, A guy in New York or LA who has 20 deals and each deal he raised $40 million or $30 million and he bought a $200 million building and he levered it as much as he could. And now the market turns against him. He doesn't have... A currency in which he can, ra- you know, to bail these buildings out. He's not a sovereign wealth, com- you know, f- uh, fund which has oil <laughs> that it can put in. He's got 20 bad deals, or if he's got 15 bad deals and five good ones, the five good ones can't help the 15 bad ones. That's where you see the 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 real stress of my uh, and equity holders is that
1: kind of investor. How much of the market do you think that kind of investor makes up? Is it just kind of like the small tails? Are they like a relatively large proportion of the market? Like, is this something? No,
3: that's a decent player on the market. They're not, you know, they're not the biggest, but it's a, you know, look, there are a lot of buildings in Manhattan and Chicago and Los Angeles. I would say a third of which are owned by that sort of investor.
2: Hmm. Yeah.
3: What are you guys bullish on?
2: Bullish on what? What? Why bullish? I've <laughs> okay, never, okay. I've never okay. been bullish okay. on anything. Okay. What are you neutral toward? Okay, neutral. <laughs> I'll tell you. i I'll tell you what I think. Like, what? What is safe? I think that ultimately, what is safe is multifamily because people will always need a place to live. While multifamily evolves in the, the design of the units, the, the composition of the apartment complex, whether it has one studios, whatever, it's all that's always changing. But multifamily. People need a place to live. But is this right? saying that, uh, that that food companies are safe because
0: people always have to eat? I mean, um, getting back to bonds for a second, uh, the wise ones used
2: to say there are no bad bonds, only bad prices and bad timing. Right. So let's, let's
0: go back. Let's go back. So let's so go that's back a, to the, that's this. A
2: multifamily. Look, we haven't used the R word here. Of all the things we talked about, commercial uh, recession, oh. Re- reset. Yeah. <laughs> recession is. That affects real estate dramatically. It will affect it will affect multifamily adversely because what happens is there's a very high correlation between job formation and uh, and household formation. So that's so. But nevertheless, if you're asking what I'm neutral towards, yeah, multifamily I think is. But in New York City, a multifamily
0: since 2019 is down what 40 percent on average.
2: Well, hold on, I'm we not, like it
0: at the
3: right basis.
2: Not, I'm <laughs> not certain. Uh, in fairness to your point and your point. I'm not certain, uh, market rate multifamily New York, okay? But even there, the regulatory environment, we don't know what's coming down the line with good cause ev- eviction. These are very problematic. And y- y- if you're in the industry, you know that these are things of concern. I can't, I, uh, I'm restricting how I can re- uh, increase rent even in a market rate apartment. I have to justify. Uh, I, I now have to justify why I don't want to rent to someone, apart from the constitutional reasons. I'm talking about because of credit problems, because of criminal history. This is not good, all right? But when I think of multifamily, I'm thinking about all the markets elsewhere in the country. So I say I'm neutral on, well, you would say neutral. On warehouse, I don't, logistics. You know what? We have changed. The economy has changed, and we are much more dependent on delivery services and whatever. I don't, I think there it's overpriced, but I am neutral on that. I think that that right now you're seeing a a growth in the vacancy, but and that's because of the recession. I I am. We I,
3: we also like retail especially yeah. neighborhood retail. Strip a, centers. A strip centers, like. and you're, if you're in a suburban area, people still go to the nail salon and the dry cleaner. And they did during COVID, you know, Kimco owns a lot of that, and it's a great company. You know, they don't have any large single tenant exposure. And as a result, they have a great portfolio of real estate with, you know, small tenants here and there.
2: Yeah, I think that strip center strip center retail is, is solid, okay? And I think Americans will always, hopefully, create new small businesses Uh th- There'll be replacements for large scale retailers that go out go out of business. Milton Cooper, who is a phenomenal person and is really a star in our profession, founded Kimco. I asked him one time what he thought about the retailers. And he told me, he, I think it was 85 then, he says, you know, 30 years ago, there were 150 publicly traded retailers only three are left. So the business, what he has learned from the business, is he's always able to replace that tenancy. So I believe that retail is a good long-term investment, and you won't see much distress outside of mall real uh, uh, retail. Now, I don't think you'll see much at all. Special use, I don't know. I mean, not for me. Uh, well, bowling alleys. <laughs> Take back the bowling alley. What am I going to do with it? Do we have? Have we talked about? Uh, not talked
0: about something you would like to get into?
1: Los Angeles stealing the economics. I'm sorry. Uh, Los Angeles stealing the economics of buildings.
3: Oh, you want to talk about this? The new Los Angeles law on uh, transfers of real estate. All right. So it, we're, it, yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 it's this is it's a taking. Really. This
2: is this is this, uh, like a, a quiet, unknown, uh, sinking of real estate. In Los Angeles and I think San Francisco now also, they've imposed a five percent transfer tax on the full value of the real estate of real estate when it's sold when it's foreclosed. Let's think about that. Regardless
3: you know, of whether or not you made money on the investment, doesn't
2: market. matter. So yes, exactly. So let's think about that. You bought a building for a hundred million dollars. Okay, you put on seventy million dollars of debt. All right. Someone says to you, okay, look, I'll buy it from you for a hundred million dollars. So you think, okay, I'm getting my money out. You're not. You There's five, so a five million dollars. You lost five million dollars in that trade. Want to make it worse? The lender forecloses on the building, takes it back. Now it has to pay three and a half million dollars transfer tax because it, there's a trade there. Now it wants to go sell the building, and it ha- whatever the price is, it pays another five percent. This since equity is inherently levered, and it's a small, smallish portion of the capital stack. A five percent transfer tax has enormous impact on real estate values
3: and and for real estate lending because if you're going to be engaging in any sort of real estate lending there it's not clear whether or not you have to pay the tax on a foreclosure and if you do then you basically have to pay the tax twice when you foreclose on the real estate and when you sell it again
2: yeah i'll give you an example interesting this is new york if you want to understand contortionists so in New York, there's I think it was a 2% mortgage recording tax. So what happens in New York, no one wants to pay the mortgage recording tax. So what they do is you put a mortgage on a property, right? I buy the property. So what I do is I buy it subject to that mortgage and then then rejigger the entire mortgage as a new lender so I can avoid paying the mortgage retar- rec- uh, recording tax. I, I use the same document, even though the terms of the new document this have- With whiteout, right? <laughs> we get
3: out I mean, a typewriter and we just type over the old letters and numbers.
2: So yeah. that is... That I,
0: I wonder, um, gentlemen, if um, we can uh, draw lines between these uh, property tax, uh, the, the attacks on the tax base through uh, these evident attacks on real estate, connect that to municipal creditworthiness in cities like L.A., Chicago, and New York City, that... Um, uh, is this going to redound to the detriment of the municipal? Sure. It,
3: it it absolutely will, and I've actually tried to explain this to two New York City councilmen before, which is that you're decimating your property tax base, which is how New York City gets most of its revenue. Why would you do that? Um, it, it's it's a terrible place for cities to end up, and it's going to cause, to your point, a lot of municipal finance issues. A couple
0: what of it? issues ago in grants, we. Uh, Uh, We um, wrote a piece called um, In the Absence of John Galt, John Galt being a hero of Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged, and uh, John Galt was the enterprising fellow who disappeared from society because he was no longer going to put up with um, rent control and such things. And he went out to, I think, Colorado and founded a gated community. Golf courses and um, other and um, others joined him and so this was the, uh, the this, this, uh, that was the theme of the, the the book but it seems to me this is this kind of thing is happening in New York City and the tax base is being chipped away through such things as the um, 2019 housing stability and tenant protection. Ladies and gentlemen, you see this quotes air quotes protection act so they're protecting the tenants from uh, 40,000 apartments that they can't rent. But, um, anyway, I th-
2: I th- I th- but I think you, you have, look, New York and California. If I look at those two states, everyone's going to move to Florida and Nevada. The taxable burden on the population of those states is so onerous, and it's only going to get worse. The fact that Kathy Hochul pronounces, I'm not raising taxes. She didn't say the other part, this year, right? You have this huge outflowing of income Streams to the state into other states. This doesn't bode well. And, and, just, and,
3: for ca- and for corporations that leave California, the state is now going to try to go after them retroactively for taxes, which is, they want essentially an exit tax from California if you move to Texas or Florida.
2: 40% of the city's uh, revenue comes from uh, uh, real estate taxes. Yes, it does. All right. Um, Sam, thank you for being here. I have a question. Oh, I, have a, sure. I, I have a big question. So what do you think about the new rules in baseball I know you're so, you I was
0: I was thinking when um, uh Sam you were saying the fifth inning maybe you're saying the first inning you were saying the, I was thinking we were now, actually talking about the is, same inning is, is that a, adjusting for the t- uh, the, t- the new clock because it's, it's moving faster you know I am for it I um I sometimes gentlemen I, I am I am not a, a great sleeper and sometimes I put I put myself to sleep with the lullaby of uh of radio recordings of World Series games from the 1950s That's when I was 30 years old and i have fond memories of, and um uh, those games were over in two hours and 12 minutes. There was no clock. That was just the way things worked. And uh, so this, to me, is the, uh, the unusual, if not unique uh, example of a progressive reform that is actually conservative. Mm. So I'm, mm. I'm in favor of it. Anyway.
3: Well, you, you, you asked quickly if there was anything you thought I, I wanted to mention. And I would say that while we're bearish about many things, it actually, this represents, to my point, a generational opportunity in real estate investment, for me, I have a few more generations than Michael does. But <laughs> Michael's been through how many cycles now? Four. Yeah. So the blessing of getting to work with start, your father Michael. every day is that you know I get to use his IQ, and he gets re- to remind me of things. I get it's to make. Like I get so to make. Nothing ever it.
0: changes, does it, Sam?
3: I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs>
2: Everything's the same except how it changes. I get to make all new mistakes. <laughs> All right. Thank uh, you. Very, thank you, Michael Ashner, and Sam Ashner. thank you. We were uh, honored Evan. to be here. Well done. All right. Talk soon, fellas.
0: Hey, well, you know, uh, we want to know uh, what you think and uh, who you'd like to hear from. So if you have an idea for the podcast, please uh, mail us, email us at uh, podcast at grantspub.com. That's G-R-A-N-T-S-P-U-B. It's in what? Uh, publication? Uh, pub? Saloon? Go oh, grantspub.com. Thank you.